Oh, wow, have I got an interview for you today. I've just finished talking with Cherry Rose Tan, who's a futurist and innovator who disrupts every industry that she enters into. She's an educator. She's now a general partner at Renew Venture Capital. And today she holds nothing back as she talks about what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Sixth generation, by the way, entrepreneurs in her family since the 1800s. What it's like to be shifting and trying new things and entering into new markets. This is a conversation that, my friends, you definitely don't want to miss. Welcome to The Road to Seven. I'm your host, Sheila Cummins. I am an entrepreneur, a mentor, an investor, a wife, and mom to three beautiful children. Women entrepreneurs are up-leveling and changing the rules for business strategy, leadership, success, money, and impacting the world every single day. The Road to Seven is the diary of business strategy for women entrepreneurs. We meet you where you're at in your business and champion you along the road to your vision. And I am honored you chose to join us today. Ready to go? Buckle up. It's time to hit the road. Welcome back to The Road to Seven with Sheila Cummins. I am your host, Sheila Cummins, and today I am interviewing Cherry Rose Tan. With over 15 years of experience in tech, innovation, and entrepreneurship, futurist Sherry Rose Tan has built a reputation as the first mover in several industries, including crypto, ed tech, and mental health. Tan served as pre-seed investor of Paycase Financial, a Canadian blockchain pioneer that provides infrastructure and liquidity to global financial markets, where she and her brother worked on financial inclusion for the bottom billion. Currently, Tan is general partner at Renew Venture Capital, whose thesis is that overlooking companies led by women and historically excluded founders is venture capital's biggest recurring investment error. Alongside a diverse and talented team of ex-operator GPs spread across key ecosystems in North America, she brings expertise in early-stage B2B SaaS, network effects, and regulated industries like crypto and cannabis. Tan's previous company, Hashtag Real Talk, the mental health movement for the tech industry, is known for being North America's first and largest platform on founder mental health. Specializing in working with high net worth and C-suite clientele, Tan grew the movement to 40,000 leaders and 70 national champions in four years, with a synonymous top 14 business podcast on iTunes as well. As an innovation keynote speaker, Tan is represented by the Speakers Bureau of Canada. She is also the entrepreneur in residence at the Schulich School of Business based in Canada's third largest university, where she advises a global ecosystem of 200 startups and 3,000 members. Her companies have been featured on Forbes, Inc., The Globe and Mail, CBC, NASDAQ, Reuters, Insider, and Market Watch for being disruptors in their respective industries. This is a woman that not only you want to be meeting and following, but you want to be learning from. I hope that you enjoy the interview as much as I did. 
I met my guest today at a networking event held by Tailwind. So shout out to Alexa Dean for her community at Tailwind. She's built an amazing group of women entrepreneurs. And I sat at a table beside this woman, Cherry Rose Tan. And as she was talking, it occurred to me that this was a woman who was so far ahead of where I am, not just in the fintech space, but in the way that she thinks, in what she's doing, how she views the world. And I couldn't get enough. I just wanted to keep talking to her. And I'm so grateful that she said yes to joining us today. And I'm thrilled to present Cherry Rose Tan. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for having me, Sheila. And by the way, that that's very kind of you. I think the acknowledgments and I, I was I so loved our conversation that we had at the at the dinner. Yeah, me too. And you know, as as a woman who's venturing into the fintech space, it was so great to meet someone who is so well established in that space. And let me just sort of give a little bit of context about what you're doing today. Just recently, in fact, last week at the time of this recording, Cherry Rose just announced that she has joined Renew Venture Capital as the second general partner. And this is just A, a massive achievement. Congratulations. And B, tell us, you haven't always been a VC. Tell us how you got to this place. Yeah, it's exciting times. Like, I'm glad that we did the announcement and definitely excited to share more about about the journey. So I think, as you mentioned, so Jeff just rejoined Renew Venture Capital. So I'm the second general partner in Canada, which is really exciting. And then I've also got co-founders in the States and that, that's a whole very interesting structure and I get so many questions about it. But I would say what really brought me here, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Sheila, like I, it's so funny looking back at my journey because if you had asked me five, maybe like 10 years ago, actually, or maybe even 16 years ago when I started as an entrepreneur, like, hey, Cherry Rose, do you think you'd ever like, like be a VC or be on the investor side, I, I would have been a no. Like I wouldn't have been able to see it. And I think where my journey starts in this is, yeah, for me, I would say I just live and breathe entrepreneurship. And I've had kind of like a really quirky start and I think really sort of eclectic sort of background. So I think for context for all of the the listeners here, so I... I've been an entrepreneur for 16 years. And even when you look at my education background, you wouldn't think I would end up in tech. You know, I did when I went to undergrad, I thought very much from a traditional Asian family. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going into pre-med. I'm going to go be a doctor. And very quickly, especially in my first year of studies, I was taking an elective at the time. It was actually psychology. I needed something to fulfill my degree so that I could like graduate with like in, in three years. And I fell in love with that, with that field. I fell in love with psychology and that really brought me on a very different path. So I did end up doing pre-med. I did psych for my undergrad. I did psych and education for my graduate school. And I actually started off my career as a school teacher, which not a lot of people know. Like I, taught a lot of the small kids. Like I've taught every grade from SK, like senior kindergarten to grade eight. But I share this piece about me because even like back then, starting off in my career, one tenant that's really stuck with me is really paying attention to what I'm passionate about and paying attention to where I feel like I'm able to contribute and feel like, hey, like that contribution I made it feels different from maybe some of the other things that have been contributed in the past. Like there's something unique that I can, 
that I can give here to this community or to this vertical. And so being in that love around education and even starting off as a school teacher, even though I was in that field, I was already, you know, thinking about different businesses, had my first company initially in education, not education in tech, just education. And then over sort of the years, I started making that transition to tech as I started going into like education and tech, so ed tech, and then really then transitioning to tech fully. And so I would say that in those 16 years of really building different types of companies or investing in companies. So for example, as a co-founder or founder, solo founder, I've had companies in like education, ed tech, and I would also say mental health. And then as an investor and, and something that I did with my family, I've also been like a pre-seed investor for the crypto company that my, my family and I owned. And so it's been very interesting going in that journey the last 16 years and just really putting myself out there and trying a lot of different things. And I think in that journey, one of the things that really humbled me when I start looking back as to like, you know, what would I, what would I have liked for Cherry Rose 16 years ago? I think one of the things that really came up for me was like having allies, having people in the investor space, having VCs that look like me who actually really understood the problem that I was solving and the mission that I was on. And so that's a little bit of a tidbit. I feel like I could definitely go deeper into some parts of the story, but that's that's kind of some of the pieces of how I really started off in entrepreneurship and then started getting drawn to to, to investing in the investment world. You know, I think that's such an amazing journey. And I have to say, I started as a school teacher too. And I taught, it, I taught everything between K and eight in the public system, the private system. And I have to say, I have found that there are so many very successful entrepreneurs that started as teachers. And I've always been trying to figure out why. And I think part of it is that you're always, as a teacher, you're wearing so many different hats simultaneously that you're used to sort of going at a really fast pace. And you're also used to your work never being done. And also a lot of entrepreneurship, I think, is about teaching and educating. Now, what, what I find really interesting in this, and I'd love to tap into, is that concept that you've already been an investor and you invested in a pre, you were a pre-seed investor in a cryptocurrency business. How did you, how did you know that, did you want to be an investor? Was that a part of your vision? That's it. Oh, that's a good question. Or did it just sort of come about? Yeah. I mean, when I look back at it, to be really honest with you, I think a lot of it actually had to do with necessity. Mm -hmm. So I think the story behind the crypto company is, you know, my family and I, we we have a company that's called Paycase Financial. This company started, well, we entered the space in 2014. So literally one of the oldest crypto companies in Canada, one of the first. And at the time, so what's been amazing about it is that obviously when we're looking back at this, you know, it's 20, if it's 2022, people are obviously excited about crypto. Crypto has become, at least in the, in the media, it's become mainstream as a conversation. Whether or not you choose to be in crypto, that's a different story, but the language is now there. Back in 2014, that, that didn't exist. <laughs> so like if you were in crypto or even blockchain back then, my experience of the tech industry was literally going to other colleagues, other founders, and other investors and having to explain to people like, what is crypto and being met with a lot of different responses. Like you get some people who were some early adopters who were super excited and, you know, they were saying, okay, this is, 
this is like the new internet. This is the equivalent of what happened when the internet came about and the kinds of revolutionary changes that it's, that it's done worldwide in terms of industry and the way the companies are built and, and operate, et cetera. So you get some of those early adopters, right? The, the sort of the, the evangelists of crypto. But the reality is like crypto was not actually was not cool and was not ex- really accepted back in 2014. Like people were really, really scared, right? And there wasn't a lot of education about it. What people would often hear sometimes even maybe in circles with colleagues is like, well, like, like, is that technology even legal? Is that technology even regulated? Like, how does that work with, with, with the money? Because it's like, there's no, there's no physical wallets at the, like, like the technology, so much of it was just so new. And, and like, is that dark web stuff? Like people were just very confused. And I think there was a lot of risk aversion to it. And so why I, I share that piece, you know, just giving that context is for myself and I think my family and also want to acknowledge the other co-founding family. We, we have another family partner with the Weinbergs and also our early leadership team who are still together until this day. That's yeah, they're, they're incredible. It was really tough, you know, to, to be in that space and to try to convince people that what we were doing had legitimacy in terms of not just the technology that we were building, but that the business opportunity was big enough and that the, and that this industry would actually continue to exist because there, you know, back in the day, there used to be a lot of theories like, Oh, maybe Bitcoin is just going to, it's just going to fade away in the darkness and not going to be around. Right. And so I share that piece because coming from, I think a family like mine and a cultural background like mine, like I'm a woman of color. I'm Filipino, Chinese, Canadian. I'm a first generation immigrant. For me and my brother, it, it felt like it was so obvious to us that crypto was here to stay because the problem that we were solving was something that we had lived through. Like when my brother and I, my family, like we come from Manila, we come from the Philippines and in Southeast Asia, for example, back in those days, back in 2014, there were a lot of barriers, like a lot of financial barriers around people being able to access and transfer money to their families and to be able to provide for people back home. And it wasn't going to cut it. A lot of these other solutions that people were doing with like credit unions and banks where a huge chunk of what they were transferring was just going to these banks. And if you're a family that already is really stretched beyond your means and you're, you're trying to help people back home, like that's, that's a huge problem. And so for us, it was so obvious that, oh, we see this technology of decentralization. And a way to protect identity and security and a way to open up banking. And as I said, it was so obvious to us coming from that, that world and being people of color and all of that stuff. But then when we were talking to, you know, when we were talking to colleagues or in the case of the leadership team, when they were talking to VCs, like people just didn't get it, you know, or people were just not even acknowledging the problems. Like, Hey, I think. That thing that you say is a problem, that's not really a problem. That's not really an opportunity. And I think that really speaks to the fact that we need more kinds of VCs at the table. We need more perspectives. We need, we need more people that come from different backgrounds and not necessarily conventional background, like an ex-banker, ex-private equity coming in, but, but people who have different lived experiences who can actually recognize those markets that are coming up. So anyway, that's my long winded way of saying it. No, but I think you pick up, you bring so many good yeah. points to the table because 
you know, one of the things I'm building right now is my board of directors. And one of the things I'm looking for is people with those varied experiences. And no matter what book you read, no matter how much you study it, those companies that have a diverse board of people from all different backgrounds, races, creeds, colors, all, the more diverse, the more successful that company is. It's a proven, it's a statistic. It just is because we can pull from lived experience. And I think that's so valuable. And, you know, how did you, how did you stay wedded to this passion when, you know, I'm sure you were met, well, you talked about it, met with resistance to this new idea, which now we can see as a, you know, something that's caught on and is mainstream. How did you find that inner strength to keep going when people were sort of not buying into what you were talking about? Yeah, what's actually coming up for me is that, so I, how to describe it? I, I'm obviously now co-founding this, this venture capital firm with Renew Venture Capital, but I also am currently the entrepreneur in residence at the Schulich School of Business. And I share this because I spend a lot of my days just in the tech ecosystem around meeting founders, especially the new generation. And one of the things I talk about sometimes when I get what I think back on my journey is the importance of being really self-aware. So when, when I started as an entrepreneur, for example, one of the things that I struggled with back then was feeling like I had these like ideas or these visions of things to build or I'm seeing a problem and I'm sharing this with people. I'm talking with people in industry and people in the industry are kind of reacting with a lot of resistance. Like, hey, like I, you know, I don't see it that way or, hey, like, that's just really crazy. You're never going to get people to say yes to that. Or, hey, like that, that piece with like, like crypto, like, I, I don't think it's going to exist anymore. There, there's a lot of like very emotional, very strong opinions, like very polarizing. But that's a lot of people's first, first reaction would be to yes. the negative to avoid the risk. Exactly. But one of the things that I've now noticed in retrospect, and I think this is what's also given me the strength to actually do Renew Venture Capital, which we're also changing the way that we're doing VC and the way that we structure things, is that now when I when I look back at my journey, I actually realized that one of my gifts as a founder, as an investor, is actually being a futurist. That I actually see the trends and I notice the signs, like whether it's happening in conversations of like, oh, all of a sudden people are really disgruntled with X, Y, Z, or all of a sudden, oh, like these new generation of, let's say, students and alumni then working with a Schulich, you know, the last few years, I mean, probably even four years ago, I was already seeing, wow, a lot of them really want to become creators. A lot of them are really interested in in YouTube and Instagram and TikTok. A lot of them are building e-commerce companies. I think there's something here around the creator economy. And that's like four years ago, right? And now obviously this is a mainstream topic, but it wasn't four years ago. But you're already seeing the signs in the industry. You're seeing stuff starting to hit, uh, 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 starting to get towards critical mass. And so that's a gift of mine that I do have because I'm such a systems thinker. So I tend to go into industry and I love networking with every single stakeholder to really understand how have they been experiencing this problem? Like, what are the existing services in that industry? What do people like that's currently working? And then you also get to notice what's not working. And so 
for me to know that about myself, like, oh, that's a gift of mine that I'm a futurist. And actually that me being contrarian is actually what allows me to build my companies because I tend to be a first mover in the space is what allows me now, especially in this sort of, I would say, next phase of my career, allow me to actually go first. But I didn't have that awareness back back then. And it really took me years, right, to actually build up that track record and then to also see when I look back at the patterns, like, oh, yeah, like that pattern happened the same way. Like those last three companies, like you were five years ahead of the curve. So now I know it takes it takes about four to five years before the mainstream is going to be talking about what it is that I'm building. So did, as I said, didn't have that awareness back then, but now I do. But it's also trusting. You know, you have that guttural instinct that's spot on, you know, enhanced because you are a futurist, because you're an innovator, because you're not afraid to be first to market. How do you trust that? That's a huge shift, especially for someone who's a systems thinker, someone who wants proof of concept. How do I tap into that? Yeah. Hmm. What's within you that enables you to to do that? Is it like a steely grit and determination? (laughs) Honestly, I feel like I feel like for me, it's yeah, I feel like for me, it's actually two things. One is the way that I operate. I'm I'm not sure if other people will resonate with this, but this is the way that it empowers me is that I am the kind of person that gets really excited about entrepreneurship and building ventures because I'm excited about the journey and who I will become along the way. So I have this whole thing that is ever since I was I was even really little or even very young, I've always been so, so goal oriented and I think career oriented. And what I would do is like every single decade, I would think about, I would literally have a topic that I would think about that I'm feeling like this mission, this phrase, this these two words, I could see myself solving and dedicating my life to this topic for 10 years. And I and I don't know how I'm going to get there. I just know that my heart is so moved by this because I feel like this is something so important for like myself, the people around me and even my community that I'm willing to commit. And then in that process, I start to have conversations with people about this is the mission that I'm really excited about bringing to the world and and starting to have those early conversations about, you know, who could be possible co-founders for this mission? Like who else is thinking this way? Like that's kind of how I start my decade. And I sort of just trust that if I'm in that space of communicating the mission, that I'm going to attract and and bring a lot of those people who are thinking the same way. And then all of those different possibilities start to come out like, oh, you know, financial inclusion, it could be a crypto company. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, financial inclusion, it could be maybe creating a, a joint venture. Oh, you know, financial inclusion could be X, Y, Z, right? So just being in that space. And so I, I love these 10-year moonshots. And it's been so exciting for me because I even fight for myself that and and aligning myself to something that is so much bigger than me, it helps me move away from the fear. Rather than it focusing on, oh, this is all about me and people are watching me and like I I, I gotta make sure I got I I got all my stuff together. Like rather than that internal dialogue being on me, now I'm focusing outward and I'm thinking, okay, this is the mission that I'm on. 
who are all of the people I can impact? Who are all of the people I can collaborate with? So I would say that that's a, that's a really big piece that moves me. And then the other part as well is really just being grounded mm-hmm. and actually having conversations with the people that I want to serve as a way to remind myself of why I fight for what I fight for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, such a great reminder for people listening that, you know, one thing you said that I think we forget about is I actually love the journey and where I think a lot of entrepreneurs, I see them focusing on is this is the end result. And oh my gosh, this hurts. This is hard. I'm finding this tricky, you know, but that is kind of part of the fun of it is figuring out how to work through those and then reminding yourself that it's not about you, Cherry Rose. It's about the impact that you're about to have. That's how we can tap into that passion on a regular basis and keep going because it's about serving the greater good. And that I think is so important for people to be really hearing. Yeah. I mean, even when you talk about the greater good, it was, it was so interesting for me to hear you share those words just now because I feel like so coming from the world of tech, and then I would say even coming from the world of VC, sometimes the impression that I think that people get of the industry is that it's kind of like cutthroat mm-hmm. or people kind of get the sense that it's it's always about the hustle and it can feel very exhausting. And, and, and I would also say as well, these stories that we perpetuate are not necessarily healthy, like telling founders that, okay, you have to suffer like the four, yeah. first four years and you can't pay yourself a salary and you're going on the ramen, you know, you're eating ramen noodles. Like there's all these like stereotypes, not, not so great. But I, I would say for, for me coming from this, this world of VC right now and also having been a, a, a founder in the past, like as much as the words sometimes sound cheesy, like, okay, thinking about the greater good or thinking about the bigger mission. There's a reason why people share that. It's because it actually does work and it does matter. And even speaking from experience, I know you and I talked talked a bit about this at the dinner where we met, but me doing this announcement about Renew Venture Capital, I had a previous company that I was operating for four and a half years that was called Hashtag Real Talk. And I, you know, I just announced the transition from that company because we're winding it down now, but I had like spent four and a half of my years with, with with hashtag real talk and I was saying how to describe it like North America's largest platform for founder mental health and founder as a tech founder so we were supporting like tech CEOs and these these executives with their mental health and something that maybe some uh, some some people in the in, in the audience might be surprised to know is that you know I had worked with forty thousand founders during those four and a half years. And it was so humbling. And I would literally sit in front of, you know, people, young. it could be everyone from young founders who are starting their journey all the way to founders who've been in this industry for like literally sometimes 35 to 40 years. And the commonality around a lot of these conversations is that if we don't remember what it is that we're fighting for or what it is that moves us, when you hit those hard times, it can be so easy to lose your motivation for what you're doing or to feel like you're losing your gifts as an operator of like, oh, like I, I'm really bogged down by this. I feel so heavy about what's happening. I feel anxiety. I feel burnout. I feel like it's not a good feeling to have as a leader. And then sometimes in the extreme cases, and I've seen this happen in, in, in my, in my work where I'm holding these space for other founders. In the most extreme cases, people end up resenting their business 
and they actually leave because they hate what they felt. So I think, I think that balance really does matter. Well, I think it does huge. And, you know, I see, I mean, people never come to a a business mentor advisor when things are going really well. They usually come when. They're staring down a really tricky decision or something's not going well or they're ready to throw in the towel or they've had enough or whatever. And, you know, I think what you said is just it's so important that it's okay to have those moments because that is a part of the journey. And it's at those moments where we've got to be reaching out and asking for help. And if you don't ask for help, people can't help. And to suffer in silence and to, you know, it's possible you're sitting on that next great idea, but you hate your business so much because you're sick and tired of, you know, being the martyr and, and being the slave to this company that's not providing for you or doing what you want. If you don't ask for the help, what if that was that idea that was going to change the world? Yeah. And, and I think to your point, when you talk about mentors, the people that you surround yourself with really, really do matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I think about something, for example, like PayCase Financial, as I was sharing earlier, I mean, that company has been around like since 2014. So we're like, you know, eight, eight, eight years heading into nine. And that core team is still together, right? Like that mm-hmm. core leadership team is still together. And by the way, like I sharing this because, you know, Especially for people in tech, people in tech know like that's really, really rare. Like you actually yes. tend to lose a lot of co-founders. You tend to lose a lot of people on your leadership team because as you continue to scale the company, the saying that I often give to like the, the founders that I'm, that I'm advising is that, yeah, as you become more successful, it's not that the problems, it's not that you have no problems. It's just you have better problems. <laughs> so maybe when you first start. Your problem is like, well, how do we get, how do we raise the first 250K just so that we can build this initial product? By the time you maybe you get to series B and you've raised, you know, 10, tens of millions of dollars. Now the problem is, okay, we've just accepted money from this, like this VC who's, who's a big deal. And now they're on our board. How are we going to make sure that we actually hit the milestones mm-hmm. that we promised to all of our investors? Like there's this fiduciary sort of responsibility. So it's just better problems. And I think what I could share, maybe I'll plant a seed. You can let me know if we want to go there. But, you know, to be really honest, I think even with this audience and even with you, Sheila, like it's when I started having, I describe it, when I started realizing for myself that I was getting attracted to venture capital as like my next stage in my career, it actually took me aback at first. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of feelings that came up of like, okay, (laughs) you know, I've had, some very interesting experiences around with VCs in general, like some that have been absolutely amazing and some that have been not great as a founder. And it was already intense enough as it is to be a founder. Like, how do I feel about investing in companies and doing that as a VC? Like, do I really want to do this? And I think it it, it took me a year and a half, actually. Like I was having conversations with colleagues I was reaching out to other friends of mine who already run venture capital firms in Canada and the States of like, you know, what was it like for you when you made the transition? Like being in my position, what would you recommend that I explore or I look at? But yeah, it took me a year and a half to sort of actually build, I don't know, I guess build the team 
around me that I felt like, okay, you know, if I'm really going to do this and I'm going to dedicate 10 years of my life, because that's how the like how long the life cycle is. It's 10 years that you're committed as a VC once you choose to do this. Like who is going to be the team that I really want to be around if we're going to do something that's hard? So yeah, when you talked about mentors, that that's kind of what clicked for me. Well, and you know, as someone who's, who's, I'm not stepping out of the coaching and educating space. That's always going to be a very predominant vertical within the road to seven. But as I step into this fintech space of micro lending, you know, raising funds so that I can pull the capital, lend it out to women entrepreneurs. The biggest thing that I find I come up against is this concept that I actually don't belong in that space. I can own my space in the education and the coaching world because I have a 12-year track record there plus a 13-year teaching you know, career before that. I mean, I remember the day my cousin and I were talking about doing an MBA and she's like, come on, Sheila, let's go do it. And I got so close to the point that I had the test practice papers and I started working through it and I chickened out and never went to sit my MBA pretest. I think this is the MCAT because I didn't think I was smart enough and I didn't think that I belonged in that space. And what I'm finding, and just to reiterate your point, the reason I'm telling you this is it's meeting women like you who have made this jump, who are saying, Sheila, this is a great idea. You've got to make this happen and surrounding myself with other people who can see the vision that I have and are holding my hand as I figure out where I belong in this space. And in fact, my mantra for this year is I belong. That's what's, you know, my power word. Every year I choose a word that's mine. And it's, you've made huge pivots in your career. And going from being an entrepreneur to being a VC is a huge pivot. It's a whole new ball game. It's a whole new set of responsibilities, new expectations, new track record to build. Like it's, it's all new, but it's, it is all about the people who you have around you. Yeah. And, and thanks for sharing with me, by the way, that, that, that story as well. It's so interesting. I think when you talk about the, by the way, I love that you're, you're a theme. I think you mentioned the I belong. Mm-hmm. My theme, cause I choose words every year. My theme this year is actually music. Oh. Of, yeah. Music is the word. And what does it mean to just flow with things? And to not always come from a place where I feel like I need to have everything planned and every, cause BC is about every risk mitigated for me to step in. Like, what does it mean just to flow with things and just to go to what's exciting? But yeah, when you talk about belonging, I think, no, I think I know, I know it matters. And it's so interesting that you and I are recording this podcast today because I, just spent the last two weeks. I, I know we were talking about this, I think at the pre-recording, I spent the last two weeks kind of in a very sort of intense work week where I was teaching. We have a new course in the the MBA program at Schulich and it was a different kind of program this year where it was two week intensive instead of our four month courses. And what was so cool was that this was like an international program. So I was actually hosting a bunch of students who were coming from other tech ecosystems around the world, like the UK and Israel and Thailand and students who've worked in Pakistan and India and China. It was, it was so cool. But what came out in this really diverse group of individuals who are all very accomplished and, and so driven in terms of what they do is that we were talking about 
belonging, but the way that we had talked about it was how much a difference it makes in industry when you're like no longer the only one. And I feel like, especially for the listeners out there who are maybe, maybe you're a woman founder or investor, or maybe you're an intersectionality. So maybe you're a woman of color or whatever it could be. I know that for many of us, and I'm sure that they could relate is that we often feel like in certain industries that we are the only one, especially for example, for venture capital, me entering the space. Luckily, I think there are, there, there are women who are now partners and, and, and people of color are partners and things like that. But we still have a long way to go in terms of the, in terms of the statistics around that. And so it really does make a difference in terms of the blogging and the way that you show up when you're no longer the only one and you've got other people in community that you're building this with. That's amazing. Oh gosh, I could talk to you all day. But I am going to ask just two questions and I will let you go. I know you got other things to do today. First question. What do you know now that you wished you knew when you started? What's Okay. You know, it's so funny. What popped into my head? Not, not that I had an expectation around the answer, but it, it surprised me. So I'm just going to share what it is, is to actually not take yourself so seriously. Even, yeah, even with my students last week, you know, a lot of them were asking around, it sounds like a lot of the stuff that you do, it kind of tends to be kind of intense. Like I am not somebody who is halfway when I choose to do something like, you know, when I say the moonshot, this is a moonshot for the decade. I just go all the way. Like I go as far as I could possibly go and I don't leave anything for the, for the, for the trip back. Right. It's like it's, I just keep going. And at the same time, even though there's that intensity with my work, the other parts of my life, I'm really intentional about keeping it balanced. Like I'm really intentional that yes, you know, Cherry Rose Tan is very excited about building her, her track record or not her building this institution now within VC. And I think translating a lot of the track record that I already have as a founder and now really contributing to the next generation in this way. But I know that I'm also not my work and that there's like a version of Cherry Rose. They're both me, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a Cherry Rose that exists who's also just Cherry Rose Tan as like a human being. Who also gets to rest and also gets to play and has like a family life and a friend life and all these other things that really frankly keep me sane and also keep me happy so that when I show up in work, I show up in a way that's just very pure and is coming from a place where I feel confident that the way I'm showing up in every interaction is is like positive mm-hmm. and grounded. So anyway, that, that popped up for me as you. Oh, I love that. I love that. So through and through. And tell us what's next. Final question. What is next for you? Tell us about Renew Venture Capital. Where are we going to see you? Tell us what's next. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm now deep in, in, in Renew, co-founding this venture capital firm. Super, super excited. We are actually fundraising our fund one. And I think what excites me about Renew is that how to describe it. We are a team that is like spread across different cities across North America. And this is very intentional, by the way. I've done this by design where six of my co-founders, six of the general partners are actually in the States. And then me and one of the other general partners are here in Canada. And our mission around that is really around, we've created a partnership that is all of these sort of ex-operators, you know, a lot of us are ex-founders or either that they're executives or lead, lead, leadership teams of other startups. 
And we're actually coming together to, we're, you know, we're building a venture capital firm that really represents what our, our population looks like, where it's not just about a fund that's like necessarily all women or a fund that's all people of color. But for example, you know, on our team, two of our general partners are white men, two of our general partners are white women, and then four of our general partners are, are women of color. And that's so, so intentional for us that we want to be the example in VC. Mm-hmm. That's about not two worlds being separate, but two worlds actually coming together on a line mission and that we can actually have a shared language. So that's what really that excites me. So and I, refreshing. yeah, I am so, so excited. And I, yeah, I am staying in Toronto because I get a lot of questions about this. Like, like now that you're at review, are you moving? Like, no, we're staying in Canada. Like we're excited about investing in here. We're fundraising in Canada for the fund one. We're fundraising in the States, but that that's the mission that we're on. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing it with us. We'll put all the links to you and to your, to your ventures in the show notes below. Thank you so much for your time today. This has just been the most amazing conversation. I appreciate you very much. You're welcome. And thanks so much for thinking of me. And I'm glad that you reached out to say like, hey, you know what? I think it would be cool to actually do a podcast episode. We know to do a lot of fun. Cherry and Rose, this is not our last conversation, but thank you for, for the episode today. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you for listening to The Road to Seven. If you found value in what you've heard today, please leave us a five-star rating and a written review. You might just get a shout out on an upcoming episode and you never know when I'm going to be mailing some surprise treats to our reviewers. Make sure to subscribe so you automatically get notified when new episodes are released. Are you looking for a way to connect with other entrepreneurs that are facing the same challenges as you? I'd love to connect with you in the Road to 7 Facebook group on Instagram and LinkedIn. Just head to SheilaCummins.com. You will find all the links that you need right there. Together, we'll explore more ways to support your shift into action so that you can grow your business to finally match your vision. I love aligning your vision of success with strategic and intentional actions because that is how we will grow your business to match your vision. I focus on women, all women, because women hold the keys and the power to creating a powerful and positive world through their impact. We'll see you on the next episode.